Welcome to Mariner's Church. Welcome to Mariner's Church Online. I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you're watching by yourself, if you're watching with friends or with family, welcome. Welcome to our online experience of our gathering. My name is Eric. I'm the senior pastor here and really, really glad you're with us. Our president has asked for the nation to pray. He has declared Sunday a national day of prayer. And so we want to pray for our nation now. And Kyle Costello, who is the lead pastor at our Huntington Beach congregation, is going to lead us in prayer. We join me in praying. Father, we come to you. We come to you first, Lord. There are so many distractions right now, but we come to you first because you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. God, you are the God who is so generous that you would provide for us in the deepest need when you give us your son, Jesus. So we come to you right now. We come to you, Lord, and we pray for our nation. We pray for those who are sick. We pray your spirit would be with them, offering them peace, that they would know that their, their creator sees them. We pray for those medical professionals and so many, Lord, who are serving those that are sick. Would you give them wisdom, guide them? And Father, we pray for anyone right now, God, who is feeling afraid or um, just the unknown is challenging them. God, we pray that they would turn to you, trust you in this moment, that they would see you as the rock that you are. Father, I pray right now for our church, for everyone watching, whether they are in a group, whether they are by themselves. God, I pray that they would know that this is not surprising you. This is not challenging you, Lord, but that you are sovereign and that we can all trust in you. So Father, now we, we, we pray for your spirit to be with us, to lead us and guide us as we worship together that we would sing loud knowing that that is the best way to respond as we trust you as you lead us in this. God, we thank you that you would see us and that you would be with us. And we say all of this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Our hope for you during this worship service is that you would be overwhelmed with the faithfulness and the love of God. And so no matter where you are, let's sing, we're going to pray some more, and then we're going to study the scripture together. Let's sing together. We believe in the rest. 
church live loud, our God will save. We believe, we believe that the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now. Beloved faith and the church live loud, our God will save.
And that's what we want to do is we want to sing and we want to praise Jesus in the middle of a storm. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you because we have no place else to go. We find ourselves in a place we've never been before, a global pandemic and markets that are going up and down and it is so confusing and it feels like our world is breaking apart. We have nowhere else to turn. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. And we are confused, but you hold the future in, our hand, in your hands. And while we don't know what's happening, God, you're a God who knows. And so we do what you've invited us to do. We come to you when we are heavy and we are burdened down and we feel small and weak. And what we're amazed at is that when we come to you, that you hold your arms open wide and you embrace us with your kindness and your love. We don't have to be ashamed of our weakness, our smallness, because you are a loving God. And you're a God who gives to us what we need. And so we come to you and we ask, would you give us your peace? Would you calm our hearts? Would you help us rest in you? Father, we are so confused. And so we ask that you would bless our leaders, that you would bless families that live in the margins, that you would help students in this confusing time. Father, that you would be the one that would save us and rescue us because you're a God who came and loved us. We come to a Father who cares and loves us and we know because you made us clean when we were not clean, when we were not good. You gave your Son to rescue us, to save us, and to love us. And because of that, we can come confidently to you and know that you are the one who provides for us. You are the lover of our soul. And so we turn our eyes to you. And in that moment, then we get the peace that we need, the security that only you can provide. And so in this difficult moment, we praise you and we hold you high, God, because you are the one who loves us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Father, so we look to your son, Jesus. We fix our eyes on his sacrifice, his power, his strength. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet.
It is so good to be able to gather together today and sing praises to God and remember that He is God above everything. Where do we run when we are in a crisis? Where do we run when things are crazy and chaotic? Where do you run? Where do you run when things are so uncertain? Where have you run to this week? We're going to look at an incredible psalm Psalm 57, and if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, but we'll have the passages on the screen for you as well. And in this Psalm, we're gonna see David, who is at one point the king of Israel, but he's a man after God's own heart. The scripture says that of him, that he's in the middle of a crisis and he runs. We're gonna see where he runs, where he flees to. And this is what we're gonna find out about David. He loves God, he's a man after God's own heart, yet he's in the middle of a crisis, which means both of those can happen at the same time. That you can love God with all of your heart and still face trauma and crisis and pain and death and divorce and uncertainty. That we can love God and yet because we live in a world that is fallen and broken, we can be plagued with these things. So Psalm 57, I want us to see this passage together. Now, in the original language, the prescript, which is above verse 1 in your Bible, it is actually there in the original language. So in the original language, it would almost be verse 1. The, the prescript, the, the script right above verse 1 in our English Bible is actually in the original Hebrew. And it's important for us to understand because when you understand the prescript, this psalm is going to weigh so much. It's going to mean so much to you. And here's the prescript. For the choir director, do not destroy a victim of David when he fled before Saul into the cave. So David is going to write this psalm. He's going to sing this song to God while he is in a cave. While he's in a cave. And many today feel like they are in a cave. Maybe you feel like you are in a cave. Now the cave that David was in 
was not a man cave. I mean, some of you are watching this, you are streaming this in this incredible man cave at your house and you have uh, surround sound and a comfortable couch and a big screen TV and there's a bathroom right down the hall and uh, you have some snacks even. This is not the cave that David's in. David is in this dark cave, this, um, this cave that he didn't wanna be in. There's no restroom, there's, there's no modern comforts in this cave. But he was pushed into that cave. He was forced into that cave. And many of you, even though your cave is nice where you're watching this, you still feel like you're in a cave. And no one likes being forced into a position. No one likes being forced into a place. My youngest daughter, Evie, she's already uh, a bit frustrated with our house feeling like a cave right now. And so she woke up the other morning and she said, even my dreams are boring. Even my dreams are boring right now. My life is just so boring right now because so many things feel like they're being taken away from her. She's not gonna be going to school, uh, kids ministry here at Mariner, she can't come to that. Uh, activities that she had planned, volleyball practice even, those things are all gone. And so our home feels a bit like a cave. And some of you, you feel emotionally in a cave. It feels like everything's closing in on you. Uncertainty with your career, your job, with the market. I mean, it feels for many of us like we are in a cave. And so where do we run when we're in this cave? So why was David in this cave to begin with? And, and notice in that prescript we just read, he was in the cave because he was fleeing Saul. Now Saul, at this time when this psalm was written, Saul is the king of Israel and he does not like David at all. Now, when I grew up, guys and girls, we fought, we fought very differently. I, I noticed this early, like in elementary school, when a buddy and I would get into a fight, it would be, hey, let's meet three o'clock after school. We would, you know, we would throw some fists or throw some hands and then we would hug it out. We'd be friends the next day. Girls, very different, very different. Friends of mine who were girls in elementary school all the way through high school, I mean, if they had a fight or a spat in third grade, I mean, it can go all the way through. I remember hearing girls say, I'm not inviting her to my high school graduation party. Really, why? Because she said this about me in third grade. I mean, the, the spats can last a long time, more so with girls, it seems, often than with guys. And Saul and David, they're guys. So maybe when you read this prescript, you're thinking, well, Saul and David had a fight two days ago and David went to a cave and they're gonna, they're gonna fight it out and next day they'll be fine. But really this Psalm is gonna weigh so much for you when you understand the entire context behind it. And the context, if you wanna read later, it is seven chapters in the Bible. I mean, seven chapters in the Bible are devoted to the fight between Saul and David that precedes him being in the cave in Psalm 57. So, 1 Samuel 18, all the way to 1 Samuel 24, seven chapters, and it begins like this. In 1 Samuel 18 is when David slays Goliath, who is the leader of the Philistines, the enemy of God's people. And so David is this hero because he's the victorious one in battle. And as they are coming back from war, as the men of Israel are coming back from war, women run out from all of the towns and they start singing this song. And this song just devastates Saul, who's the king. Here's the song that the people sing. They sing, here it is. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens. I'm not sure the beat, but something like that. They were comparing Saul and David and Saul slain thousands, David tens of thousands, and this crushed Saul, absolutely crushed him. I mean, this was social media comparing likes and shares before there was social media, and Saul couldn't handle it because his reputation was his God. And so Saul got so angry and so filled with jealousy towards David that he tries to kill him. The scripture says he tries to throw a spear at David, David runs away, and then the next seven chapters is this constant pursuit of Saul looking for David to kill him. Scholars believe that this is anywhere between four years and 10 years of David's life. So as painful as the moment we are in now, and we are grieving for our world, for people who are filled with sickness, but as painful as it is for some of us feeling like we're trapped in a cave for a couple of weeks, I mean, David was on the run 
for years of his life in his 20s, the prime years he's thinking of his life. And he's supposed to be the next king. And yet now he's in a cave. He's promised the palace and he's in a cave. And so he prays this. That's the backdrop. That's why that prescript is so important. And I want, I want us to see the prayer that David prays. And my hope for you today is that you, by God's grace, would be able to pray this prayer too in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a coronavirus, in the middle of job insecurity, in the middle of relation, relationship strife, in the middle of trauma and stress, that we would be able to pray this prayer. Psalm 57, verse one. Be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me. For I take refuge in you, I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will praise you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. How in the world can David pray such a powerful prayer when he is in the middle of such a crisis? Here's how. He is so overwhelmed with the reality that God loves him. He says the phrase, faithful love, the faithful love of God twice in this psalm. And because David finds his worth in his identity in the love of God, his foundation is firm because his identity isn't built on something that changes. His identity is built on the firm foundation of God's love. Saul, on the other hand, Saul didn't build his identity, his worth on the foundation of God's love. His identity was fixed on things that come and go, on things that change, such as his approval ratings, and he was crushed. And so the only way that we can pray a prayer like David prays in Psalm 57 is if we find that our identity is built on the foundation of God's love. If we're overwhelmed with his faithful love to us, we see in this Psalm that Saul is miserable while he's in a palace and David is at peace in a cave. See, with God, you can be at peace in a cave. And without God, you can be miserable in a palace. And so let's run to God as our refuge. There's three things I want us to see in this passage. And these are the, the three things that will happen in my life and in your life if we're just overwhelmed with the fact that God loves us, even when we're uncertain about what's going on in this world even if we're filled with dread or fear about a coronavirus, even when things seem so fragile all around us, if we find our hope in the sure love of God, these three things will be true of us. And so number one, we will run to God as our refuge. And I wanna encourage you to run to God as your refuge. Where do you run? When things get chaotic, and when they got chaotic this week, where did you run? Notice what David says in verse one of Psalm 57. He says, be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me. I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. This is what David is praying. God, I'm in a cave, physically in a cave, but my soul is in you. Physically, I've run to this cave, but this cave isn't where I ultimately place my trust. I ultimately place my trust in you. You are where I run. We can tell who our God is by where we run when a crisis hits. Where do you run? Where'd you run this week? 
run to God as your refuge. People run to different things. Some people, they run, um, they run to relationships and relationships are really good. So something bad happens in the world and they, they get together with friends and they, they look for their community to be their refuge. And God gives us community. Community is a great gift, but community, relationships, they can't be your ultimate refuge because people come and go out of our lives. Our ultimate refuge must be God. Other people, when a crisis hits, they run to their career. Even when things feel unstable, they actually run to their career more because it gives us a sense of control, like I'm doing things, like I I still have power. And a career is a beautiful blessing of God. A job is a blessing from God. But a job or a career is a horrible cave. It is an unstable cave. It's not the place that we can ultimately run to. Some, in the middle of pain, run to a substance. And they look to a substance to remove the stress from their life or to give them a place to escape to. And we know this, we know this, I've learned this, that a substance is not gonna be a great cave. It's not a great refuge. Some run to a hobby because perhaps a hobby they think will take my mind off the stress of this world. And a hobby is great, it's a great gift from God, but it's a horrible cave, a horrible refuge. The ultimate refuge, the place where we run is Him. Because Christ is the one that is sure, the solid foundation that we can build our lives on. Kay and I, my wife, we both grew up in Louisiana. I grew up in South Louisiana in the New Orleans area and she grew up in North Louisiana. And a couple of years ago, we we both found out that we both heard advice when we were little kids that did not sound very wise to us or actually freaked us out a bit. Where we lived, occasionally a tornado would come. And friends and family and and neighbors told us both that if a tornado just shows up in the middle of the day, you know, you're outside playing football in an open field, um, run to a ditch, that a ditch is the safest place for you to go. I heard that and Kay heard that too. Just find a ditch and lay down in the ditch. And both of us, when we heard that from people, we were like, oh my gosh, is that the best option there is? Just lay in a ditch, just run to a ditch and throw yourself in a ditch. I mean, that's, that's what we heard. And it, it actually, you know, we were, we were thinking this is such bad wisdom, such bad counsel, but really running to something other than Christ as your refuge is less certain than a ditch. A ditch is better than running to something else other than Christ as our refuge because Christ is the only sure thing. In a world that is constantly chaotic, Christ is the only thing that is sure. And that is a gift of this time that we find ourselves in now. When the market fluctuates or when a coronavirus hits or things feel so uncertain and unstable in our lives, this is actually a gift for us because it reminds us that we are weak. Notice in verse one that David prays, I will Seek you, God, I will find refuge in the shadow of your wings. David approaches God with great humility and weakness in this moment, in weakness. David has already been promised that he's gonna be the king, but he doesn't approach God as king. He approaches God as child, as this humble child before God. God, I'm before you and please protect me in the shadow of your wings until this danger passes. Weakness is a gift because when we are weak and we approach God in weakness, we are reminded how strong he is. When we are weak, that is when we're really strong. And so David comes humbly to God. And when we come humbly to God, that is when he makes us happy. So number one, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of chaos, run to God as your ultimate cave, as your refuge. Here's number two. We run to him as our refuge. And number two, we remind others that he is our refuge. People are watching us Christians during this season and they're wondering if the faith that we claim, if the Christ that we claim lives in us is bigger than the circumstances surrounding us. And we want to put on display that we believe this to be true, that Christ who lives in us is bigger than the circumstance, circumstances surrounding us. Christ in you is bigger than the circumstances around you. And this is what David prays in verse nine. 
He says, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David knows that people are watching him. David's been called a man after God's own heart, yet things are crazy in his life. Things have not gone as he has planned. He's in a cave and hiding, and he knows people are watching. Is David's faith really real to him? And so David says, in the middle of this, I am going to praise God among the peoples. I'm going to praise him in such a way that they know I belong to him. A couple of years ago, actually almost a decade ago now, is my greatest sports moment ever as a fan. And uh, DK, you're going to be disappointed in this because DK and I are, are, are big Lakers fans. We like watching Lakers games together, been to a game together. But this is actually even better than that, DK. I was living in Miami. I was a pastor there. And my hometown team, the New Orleans Saints, made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, I grew up rooting for the Saints. My dad would take me to games, and this is when they weren't winning. I mean, this is when we used to put bags over our heads and cut out the eyes. We were, we were called the Aints. That, that's what people called us. But, but now, no longer. We are the Saints, and we made the Super Bowl, and I lived in Miami, and because God loves me so much, he had somebody in the church offer me a free ticket to the Super Bowl, and I got to go to the Super Bowl to watch the Saints win the game. Now, this is not what I expected at the Super Bowl. I thought, I'm used to games in the Superdome growing up. I'm used to games in Miami where you're surrounded by a bunch of really big dudes who uh, spill beer on you and stand up almost the whole game and cheer and just, just go wild for the game. The Super Bowl crowd is so different. I mean, it is the sophisticated group. It's the golf clap group. It's, I mean, they literally at the Super Bowl are saying, hey guys, can we sit down? Can we sit down? Let's, let's just enjoy the game. I mean, that's those guys. And I was shocked because this is the Super Bowl and, and I'm there and oh, after the Saints recovered the onside kick to start the second half, I lost it. I mean, I'm standing up and I'm praising and I'm celebrating and I'm so excited and people around me are, and finally someone says, um, you're not from here, are you? I said, no, nah, this is my team. He said, so you're from New Orleans? Actually, he said, um, so you're from New Orleans? That's when you can tell that they don't know where I'm really from because you don't say New Orleans, it's, it's New Orleans. And so you're from New Orleans and that's when I knew that they weren't from New Orleans and they knew I was and they could tell where I was from because I was praising and celebrating. My praise and my celebration let everyone around me know that is where he's from. You get where I'm going. In a moment like this, it is your praise of God that lets people around you know where you're really from. That you are from, not the kingdom of this world, but you are from another kingdom. That you have been rescued by King Jesus, by his mercy and his grace, that you really belong to him. And we let everyone know we really belong to him because we praise him and we worship him and they see in us that we really believe the Christ in us is bigger than the circumstances surrounding us. So number one, we run to God as our refuge. Number two, we remind everyone else that he is our refuge. And then here's number three. Number three, this is what we see in this, this passage. We remember that God works all things for our good. That God works all things for our good. Now, I'm really preaching this to myself because this has been a week where I have struggled with this. So this is, this is me preaching this to myself. You're welcome to listen, but I need this verse because I need to remember this to be true. Because to be honest, when this um, coronavirus started to spread and all the plans that I had made got disrupted, I, in my immaturity, could say things like, God, why is this happening to me? Or why are you letting this happen now? Am I the only one who said that this week? Please nod along with me that I'm not the only one who said that this week. But it was really my, my immaturity that I'm, I'm actually thinking that everything's about me and, and, and why, God, are you letting this happen to me? I mean, this, what we're doing here today is not what I planned. I, mean, I, I, I prayerfully have sermons mapped out for the next several months. Our team has worked so hard. We're seeing God do amazing things in our church right now. And, and, I, and I'm praying these prayers to God early in the week like, God, uh, why now? 
I mean, we're only 18 months into this transition, this secession with Kenton and me, and it's going so smoothly. And, and our church has been so good to me. And Mariners, you have been, this has been a dream for me these last 18 months. This has been so amazing. You have been so good to me and so good to my family. I love you so much. And so God, why 18 months in, why now? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Then I read Psalm 57 and I see David pray very differently than I prayed. He does not view life in the cave as something that is happening to him. He actually, I, this is amazing. And he can only pray this because he's convinced that God loves him so much. But he actually believes that this is something God is doing for him. As painful as living in the cave was, as painful as being on the run for four to 10 years of his life, as painful as that was, he actually is praying and believing that God is doing something for him, not something against him. That God is for him in the middle of all of the chaos. I want you to see this in verse two. I want you to see what he prays. He says, I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He is saying, God, I'm crying out to you. And this trauma, this trial, this struggle, some kind of way, you are not using this against me. You're using this for me. That you are using this to fulfill your purpose for me. And the only way he can pray that is he really believes, he's really convinced that God loves him so much. And if you're convinced that God loves you so much, you're gonna be able to believe that God's gonna use whatever circumstance you're going through, that he's gonna use it for you and not against you. And I wanna remind you, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, he does love you so much. He has lavished his love on you. And he's going to use whatever circumstance or whatever trial you're facing, he's going to use it for your good. David, in this prayer, he's actually praying Romans 8.28 before Romans 8.28 was even written. And I want to remind you of what Romans 8.28 says. The scripture says, we know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, all things don't feel good. The moment we're in now doesn't feel good, but some kind of way, God's gonna work it for the good of those of us who love him. And the good is that we're gonna be conformed more into the image of Christ, that we're actually going to be more like him through all of the circumstances that are happening. One of my favorite stories is of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor during World War II. And he had so much going for him. Like David, he was a young leader who many people respected. He received his doctorate when he was 21. He, he was engaged to be married. He had all of these things going for him, but it was all taken away from him in a moment because he spoke out against Adolf Hitler as Adolf Hitler came into power. So Adolf Hitler had Dietrich Bonhoeffer arrested and Bonhoeffer spent years, those years in prison during World War II. And he used that opportunity not to think that God was doing something against him, but that God was gonna use those moments in a cave for him. And so Bonhoeffer wrote letters while he was in prison. And in one of those letters, he, he said this incredible statement that I wanna read to you. Bonhoeffer wrote, I believe that God can and will bring good out of evil, even out of the greatest of evil. For that purpose, he needs men who make the best use of everything. Because God wants to work all things for good. He needs people, he needs you, he needs me, who are gonna view trials and trouble as an opportunity to make the best use of everything. And so while Bonhoeffer was in prison, he made the best use of everything. He um, shared the gospel with prison guards. He wrote theology. He wrote songs and liturgy. He wrote letters where he encouraged people. He made the best use of everything. And then several days before the war ended, after a failed assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler, Hitler had Dietrich Bonhoeffer killed. 
And as he was led to the gallows where he would be hung, the guards said this of what Bonhoeffer's last words were. That before Bonhoeffer died, his last words were this. This is the end. This is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. This is the end of life here. But for me, it's the beginning because I have everlasting life because of what Christ has done for me. Bonhoeffer made the best use of everything. David, as he was in a cave, believed there's something bigger that God is doing here. I'm going to make the best use of everything. And what God was doing for David was preparing him for when he would be king. And whatever trial you're going through now in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of a coronavirus, listen, God has not forgotten you and he's going to use this situation to fulfill his purpose for you. He's not leaving you. He's developing you while you were in a cave. He's developing you. And church family, I want this to be our posture right now. I want us to think, let's make the best use of everything. Let's view this time as an opportunity for us to take the tools that we have, to take the resources we have and make the best use of everything for the glory of God. And I want to tell you what we're doing as a church to make the most of this time, to make the best use of everything. We're going to have our online gatherings for the next several weeks, just as we are today. But also we're going to start a new online gathering on Tuesday night. It's a family worship experience. I'm going to be teaching alongside our kids team. And this is for elementary kids and their parents. And so if, if that's you, mom and dad, or you have a grandson or a granddaughter who's an elementary kid, in, invite people to this online experience on Tuesday night for elementary kids and their parents. It, I'm going to teach alongside our kids team. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then on Wednesday, we're going to have a junior high uh, youth Night Live and a high school Youth Night Live. We are going to do all we can to stay connected to you, to give content for you, and we're going to try and serve you as best we can digitally. We're going to make the best use of everything. But that's for us feeding you spiritually. We're also thinking about our cities, the 34 cities in Orange County. We're thinking about our county. We're thinking about the world, and we want to make the best use of everything. And Mariner's Church... Because of your generosity over the last several months, I am so grateful that we already are off to a great start on making the best use of everything to serve people in our county. A couple of things I want, you, I want you to know that we're doing. We are working with local fire and police stations with sanitation kits that we're giving them to distribute to those struggling with homelessness. With our Lighthouse Community Centers, we have put together a mobile food bank that we're going to be able to travel, a mobile food pantry. And we're going to be able to help those families who are having challenges with food during this season. We also, with our partnership with the Harvest Food Bank, the second Harvest Food Bank, our Irvine campus is one of 15 locations throughout Orange County that is going to be used for food distribution. And all of this is made possible because of your generosity. Globally, we have already assembled um, with our international ministry kits for international students. We have distributed resources in Asia and in Europe, medical resources, masks for children. We are serving our partners and our partners are praying for us. We are going to make the best use of everything. This is not going to be a season when our church gets sleepy. This is going to be a season when we step up and serve because we are the people of God who are going to declare his praises among the nations. People are going to be able to look at our church and understand that we belong to another kingdom and that in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm, we are going to declare his praises and his goodness and we are going to serve people outside of us. I am so proud, so proud to be a part of this great church. And so as we wrap up this message we're going to sing a song where we're going to remind ourselves that our foundation is the love of God, that we're going to build our life on the sure foundation of Jesus because Jesus loved us first, because Jesus came here to rescue us. That unlike Saul, our foundation is not going to be our reputation or something that can come and go. Our foundation is going to be the love of Christ. So I want us to sing this together at your home, in your office, wherever you are. And then I'm going to come back 
and I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Let's sing this together. God, you are our refuge. We worship you in the middle of the storm. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You are worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You are worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
right there, right where you are, at home, at your office, will you extend your hands now? And I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I pray for your sons and daughters this new week. I ask that you will bless them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you will walk with them and cause your face to shine on them. I pray this new week that you will remind them of how great your love for them is. I pray they would run to you as their refuge. Bless them this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.